Hello and welcome to the PhD Life Raft podcast. I'm Emma Brzezinski and today I am talking to the wonderful writing coach Lisa Munro. We're talking about joyful writing practices and we also talk about the magic that happens when writing becomes a habit. So I do hope you enjoy this episode. Lisa. Hi. I was just saying I'm so delighted to get to meet you. Um, This podcast right is brilliant because I get to meet all these fantastic people Um, and I said I've been stalking you online (laughs) and I love what you're doing around academic writing. I love the vibe and so thank you very much for saying yes and um, coming to talk to us. Oh gosh, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm I'm really excited to be here. This is this is gonna be this is gonna be fun and great. And I, I love the I, I love that I get to talk about what I do. Perfect. Well, first of all, before we get into more in terms of what you're doing, I always ask people to tell us a little bit about their journey. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey into the PhD, through the PhD, and out the other side? I will. I will try my best to make it a short story. That's not boring. Um, it won't be boring. And I love <laughs> that people's journeys are often long and winding, because I, I think that's really helpful for people to know. Because I think when you're when you're on a PhD journey and it is turns out to be long and winding, you're like, oh no, everybody else is doing it in a really straightforward way. Mm, hardly anybody. Hardly anybody does it in a straightforward way. So mm-hmm. um, yes, let, tell us. Yes. Tell us how it was for okay. you. Okay. Fantastic. Well, my PhD, um, I have a PhD from the University of Arizona in the United States, and that I got in 2015. Amazing. And so um, the P- my journey to the PhD, it came directly, I think, out of my, my experience as a Peace Corps volunteer, which was a two, almost two and a half year experience of doing volunteer work in Guatemala and working on small scale economic development projects. And so I was so, um, I didn't have much preparation in terms of, of understanding where I was, where I was going. So I looked at, I looked at a map before I I left. I thought, well, (laughs) always good. Always good. (laughs) Probably should probably do that. At least, at least know it nowhere. So, um, yeah, it, but it didn't looking at the map did not unfortunately prepare me to, to understand, um, the place I was going. And what I found was I was, um, in this, um, if you know nothing else about Guatemala, you should know that it suffered from, um, one, a, a, a very serious um, U.S. intervention, a, a military intervention that overthrew a democratically elected president in 1954. And then that inaugurated um, a 36-year civil, um, people call it the internal armed conflict. It was not really so much civil war as it was uh, a story of very repressive state violence um, against um, Guatemala's own citizens and, and particularly um, people, and particularly indigenous communities. 
And mm. so looking at the map did not prepare me for <laughs> coming for, for kind of coming into that kind of environment and then trying to do economic development. And so I was so um I, I, I sort of pieced together different different pieces of that story from the people I met. Um, everybody had something horrible to tell me about what had happened to them, about what had happened to their families, about what had what they had experienced, what had happened to their children. I mean, there were just um, such uh, profound and scary experiences of violence and so much pain and just suffering um, that I, w- I, w- I was so struck by that. And I was and I thought, how did we get here? And so that was really influential in terms of um, I wanted to be I wanted to be a historian. I wanted to understand um, what had happened, and so I thought, well, I will go to graduate school. And I should also note um, I was going to graduate school much later. I I think my let's see, I was in Peace Corps from the time I was twenty eight to the time I was almost let's see, I was a little bit. I think I was between thirty and thirty one when I got out. So it was, I was coming to the PhD quite a bit later. Um, And so I finished eventually the PhD at 40. So I just want to, I always want to note that for people. I see people on Twitter a lot who are like, I'm 24. Is it too late to start (laughs) the PhD? And I'm like, (laughs) what? Like, no, (laughs) No. of course it's not. You know, I'm 65. Am I too old? No, of course not. So, you know, you'll be 24 anyways, or you'll be 65 anyways, you know, so. but I think it's I think it's really important to um, yeah think about how people's life experiences also influence kind of what they um, what they do end up studying like how they come to the PhD. So absolutely, that was my experience. Um, I I continued to um, to research. My my research um, turned out to be uh, very much about the development of cultural relationships. Um, between Guatemala and the United States in these these formative years of the the 1930s. And so that was my my dissertation. And when I graduated in 2015, um, there was just no, I had applied for academic jobs, but got no traction anywhere. And so I thought, oh my God, like, what do I do? This was, this was not supposed to happen. I was supposed because people always say like, oh, you know, good students still get jobs and your advisors tell you all these stories about themselves on the job market in the 1970s. And it was <laughs> really hard. And I'm like, oh, God, like, you just have no idea. Like, no, it's so no. much harder these days. The standards are so, I mean, the expectations are so much harder yes, and there are just absolutely. fewer and fewer viable jobs. Yeah. And so I thought, well, you know, what am I going to do now? Well, I did not want to adjunct. That was not going to be a part of my my post PhD story. So I ended up I started doing academic editing because I had always liked um, I had always liked writing. I like I do like academic writing. I mean, academic everybody criticizes academic writing and says it's terrible, but um, I don't think it has to be terrible. I think it can be better than it is, but I don't think it has to be terrible. So I, I started just doing kind of under the table freelancing, like, oh, hey, I'll read your article and give you some feedback. Um, but it wasn't, uh, you know, it is it is hard work to start a business. Um, mm. It is you're so frequently like scratching, um, like you're like you're like digging in the dirt trying to find clients and you're like oh my god like how am I gonna buy groceries like I just don't know and um, it's hard work so I thought well 
I should probably get a, get a day job in the meantime. And so I ended up getting this day job that was in crime victim advocacy, which was not anything I had studied. Wow. Um, but I was, I was what they call service alumni because I had done a Peace Corps service. Um, and then I was also very interested. I mean, the, the, when I went to the job interview for that, for that job, um, the director of this this nonprofit that worked in crime victim advocacy said, well, what does your PhD have to do with what we do? And I thought, oh my God, I've got this because I had rehearsed this because I knew this was going to come up. And so I said, well, here's the thing is I, I have this, um, I have this PhD because I am, I'm deeply interested in issues of violence. And I am deeply interested in um, how people experience that. And I am deeply interested in issues of race and indigeneity. And I am deeply interested in connecting with immigrant communities in the United States. I am deeply interested, you know, so I had like this whole list of of reasons that they should hire me. Mm. Um, some of which were connected to my academic research and some were, were connected to my non-academic life. Um, but I was able to convince them to hire me. So I was doing that work for a while. Um, but that is that is emotionally heavy work. Yes. Because um, you really are going out on crime scenes and talking to people about the worst day of their life, like the worst thing that's ever happened to them mm. every single day. And it's like, oh, God, do I... I don't know. I don't know if I want to keep doing this. Like I was really having some doubts. So I thought um, I need to get back to the part of the world I, I care about. So um, in 2018, I quit my job and I moved to Mexico. So without uh, without too much of a plan, um, but I thought, you know, I'm going to I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to I'm going to land on my feet because I usually do. And it turned out I got hired by a study abroad program that was U.S.-based, but then had a program in Mexico where I was living. And so I became the director of the study abroad program. And that lasted for a couple of years. And that was really great work. Um, and then, of course, COVID came and study abroad went away. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, maybe this is my opportunity to really devote myself to my small business. This is, the, this is my chance to make it really happen in a big way that I haven't previously. So this is my this is my chance. So I poured all kinds of um, effort and resources and yeah, lots of love into my, into my small business. Um, and it started to really pay off. So I'm no longer scrambling so much for clients. Um, I have different, I have like, I've made more money. Um, I have more time. I have, so I've been able to design a business that has been um, very, it's very much me. It, it reflects what's important to me. It's it's really, um, it's really a lot about my values. So I that's been that's been the story, and so I've been doing that for the last couple of years. Love that, love that, and we all are happy ending. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, brilliant. And and so your business, so your work, your passion, your focus is on writing. Yes, and. In particular, you talk about um, working with academics and you're thinking about joyful writing practices, mm -hmm. which, you know, when we think about PhD writing, joy is not the word that's top of the list. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about joyful writing practices, why you think that's possible and how you think that's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think the, 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 the myth that I am trying so hard to bust um, and, and 
this is, I think if I'm making contributions to conversations about academic writing, I think this is, this is where I've started. This is where I've ended up. Um, I think I've really ended up with the idea that academic writing doesn't have to be terrible. The process of getting writing done doesn't have to be awful. It doesn't have to involve sobbing. It doesn't have to involve um, a lot of a lot of shame and fear, which people frequently fall into. Um, it can actually feel really fun. It can feel joyful. It can feel interesting. It can feel inspiring. Like I really, I really think it can. Um, and so this is sort of my radical approach to academic writing. Like, okay, like if academic writing is a major piece of what we do as academics and PhD people, um, should we not endeavor to make it feel joyful and make it feel a little bit better? It doesn't have to be so horrible. So that's really where I have been devoting my my um, that's sort of the idea I've been shaping, and I started shaping that idea. Um, I can't remember when I was. I, at one point, I was blogging a lot about um, shame and fear mm-hmm. in writing, and like that felt like important work. But it's hard to always kind of. It's hard to always confront the darkness all the time. So at one point I was like, gosh, you know, maybe it's not even so much about managing the shame and fear. Maybe it's about chasing joy. Like maybe that's the really the radical piece here. And I thought, yeah, I thought that feels, that feels kind of subversive and it feels kind of good. I kind of like it. So that's where I've been really directing my efforts and energies. Which I love. And this, this, this sense of the PhD journey as an opportunity to enjoy yourself, to savor research and to savor um, the opportunity to think and write about things that you're passionate about mm-hmm. um, is, is, a, is a brilliant opportunity. And I love that you're encouraging people to dive into that. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about how you how you do that, how you encourage people to do that. So one of the things that I know about writing is that the more you do it by yourself, the worse it feels. Um, it just, it's very easy to fall into isolation. It's easy to fall into um, shame and fear spirals. It's easy to talk yourself out of writing um, because it does feel hard sometimes. And it does feel um, intimidating. And you're like, oh, like this is hard. I don't know if I can do it. Um, so I think the antidote to that is to really get other people involved, um, get your get reconnected with people, and really um, search out community. So to that end, um, I run a free writing community um, on on Mighty Networks, so um, a platform that's not Facebook. Um, so I, I I connect people together, and we do. Um, for example, here's a here's a, a very tiny example. Um, we do a shut up and write session every Thursdays, every Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. And so it's like whoever happens to be online at that time, it's like, okay, we're going to start and everybody gets together um, and maybe I'll have five people or 10 people or, you know, it just depends who wants to do it. And we'll all be writing for this hour. And it's amazing what happens. Like, you know, we're all at home and so, or, you know, wherever we are, um, but we're all connected on this platform. And there is something really amazing about just knowing that other people are out in the world doing this work alongside with you. 
it's like people get swept up in this in this wave of just um momentum absolutely like other people's momentum and suddenly it's like oh yeah like okay we're like totally doing the thing together like yes the thing is hard and yes the thing is challenging but we're totally doing it together and then the best part um is at the end of that hour, I always ask people, like, let's all, I always ask people to celebrate because I don't think we celebrate enough in academia in no. general. I think no. we are not taught to um, really, I think we're not taught to celebrate ourselves, our writing, our accomplishments. I mean, I mean, so much of it is, so much of academic life feels like this perpetual game of like, oh, why aren't I good enough or tenured enough or published enough or blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe just taking a moment to pause and really celebrate like what you've done. Acknowledge acknowledge that you've you've made an effort today to do something that's that's challenging. Like fantastic, and people feel really good about themselves. I mean, one of the things I, I noticed very early on in this work was most people don't actually like like people think they need editors. Everybody thinks they need editor, um, but people less. I mean, people do need editors, but people oftentimes, instead of so much editing help, what people really needed, um, and I think the the gap that that I'm filling, people needed to feel a little bit better. They wanted to feel a little bit better about themselves as writers and feel a little bit better about themselves as people. And so I feel like we do that in community and it's there that we're finding joy and inspiration in writing. I love it. And as you say, the power of community. And I think a lot of people, well, people have struggled through lockdown for all sorts of reasons. Um, But as you say, people, there's an energy in other people working at the same time. And lots of people then were liking to writing in libraries um, without other scholars around and were then not able to access that. But the beauty of the sort of work that you were doing is that it's online. You can show up and be there. Um, and other people are there mm-hmm. with you, and it, it it doesn't matter if you can't get out of the house because because they are there for you. Um, and I love that you that moment of celebrating because, as you say, we do not do that enough um, mm-hmm. at, at, as postgraduate researchers. And you don't get the positive feedback as a matter of course. You're not mm-hmm. going to get the essay back with the A star on it. Um, yes. So you need to need to give that positive, find that positive feedback for yourself. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, so, Lisa, I'm going to ask you the same daft question that I ask everybody in terms of asking you for a top tip, <laughs> a top tip or something that is actionable that people can take away and, and do for themselves in terms of these joyful writing practices. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so one of the things I always tell people Um, is that writing is best as a habit and a practice rather than an event. Um, There's, when you're writing it's an event and you do it sporadically and you do it every now and then and you don't really know when you're going to do it, there's a lot of time for your brain to start spiraling into shame and fear. Um, You get kind of anxious about it. Like, ooh, I have to write today. Ooh, I haven't touched my writing project in three weeks. Oh no, this seems really hard. Um, I don't know if I can do this. Ooh, maybe I should just not do this. There's a lot of time to get really worked up about your writing project and then also to talk yourself out of it. So instead of, of writing being an event, what feels so much better and so much more sustainable for most people 
is to make your writing a real habit and a practice. Um, and a practice is something you do not because you want to do it, but because it's just what you do. Um, people who have some kind of mindfulness practice might recognize this too. Um, I, I have a meditation practice. I don't always want to do it. Um, I also have a walking practice. I literally just put on my shoes and I go outside every day for 30 minutes. Um, and I do that even though I don't want to because it's a practice. And so the more your writing becomes a practice and just something you do every day, um, the less time you have to get really worked up about it and just and talk yourself out of it. When your writing becomes something, you're like, okay, so I've, drank, I've had some coffee, I've had some breakfast, okay, I need to get some writing done, and then I'll do this other thing today. When it just becomes a real part of your life, like an integral part of your life, when you make it a priority and you do it, even when you don't want to, that's where you can start feeling really inspired. And I think most people, I think, are really surprised when they do start making writing into a practice, um, how joyful that can feel. Like, because you are making such progress and it's that progress that helps people feel really good. Oh, I think that's brilliant. Not an event, a practice, mm -hmm. not an event. Because as you say, then it becomes a big ding-dang-dong if it's an event. Like, ah, oh, you know, it's massive mm -hmm. and overwhelming and actually... <laughs> It's a habit. It's something I do. Something I do every day. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa. Um, Thank you. So excited about this. We will have um, all your links on the show notes so people can find you. People can find Thanks. your Shut Up and Write sessions. People can find out more about the other works that you do. Um, and also on the show notes will be a link if, if people want to sign up for the notes from the Life Raft, which is a weekly email comes directly to your inbox with lots of good stuff in um so thank you lisa so much for being here um, thank and thank you and thank you all for listening 